Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting, interesting, long-awaited yeah. episode of FNO InsureTech. He is the smart one, Lee Boyd. Hi, everybody. I, of course, am the cute one. Yeah, you're so pretty. I'm, yeah. I mean, there. have we ever met anybody who wouldn't agree with that? I don't think we have. I think everyone we met with said, man, you must be Rob. Because the way you look. Although we're going to shout out Janine Davis here because I'm never going to stop giving her a hard time about this. Yeah. She said, you know, to somebody, she said, you know, Rob, you either love him or you hate him. I think that one really had a big impact on you. I've heard that story about 20 times. Did that one really affect you? Yeah, because I didn't want anybody to love me. (laughs) It was so offensive. Very disappointing. Who would love a person like me? I don't love myself. <laughs> oh, there are many people who love you and only no, a couple who no, hate no, you. No, no, no. It's like, how can I respect my wife? Who would want to marry me? Right? <laughs> what was she thinking? No one's ever no one's ever wanted to ask her that. He said under his breath. Oh, there's a lot of people who wanted to ask her that. Yeah. Trust me. There are many InsureTech founders on the carrier side or mm-hmm. MGA side, who saw the opportunity, who are entrepreneurs, and right. saw the opportunity insurance and chased it. And then there were some people, like your guest today, who are insurance people yeah, and went headfirst into this crazy technology thing called InsureTech. And today's that's who you have today. That's exactly what we have. Ty Harris, co-founder and CEO of Openly. He's the second person that we've had on from Openly. We had Chris Bacon. And he came on to talk about claims. And Ty's coming to give us the co-founder and CEO perspective and a little insight into what they're doing. We're going to get to talk about uh, everything that they've done uh, and some news that they've put out in the past couple of weeks. It's going to be great. Why don't we do that and move straight ahead into Lee's interview with Ty Harris, co-founder and CEO at Openly. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today. As I said in the intro, I'm here with Ty Harris. Welcome, Ty. Thanks. Happy to be here. Looking forward to it. This is going to be a great conversation. Uh, Where am I talking to you today from? I am calling in from my home in Charleston, South Carolina, where I live with my family, a couple little kids. And um, I, you know, I moved here a couple years ago from Boston, which is the closest thing our company has to a headquarters, although we are a remote first company with people in, I think we're up to 40 or 45 states now. Are you really? So, so the, the majority of the people are all working at home? Uh, nearly 100%. Really, everyone um, works most of the time from home. And then we have offices in a few cities where people will come in. You know, some people come in a few days a week or whatnot. But we're, it's, it's truly remote first. Not, not, I wouldn't even call it a hybrid model at this point. So is that something that happened because of the pandemic or is that just the way it was always designed? Yeah, it's funny. So we, um, you know, when 
COVID really struck, I think we were probably 12 or 15 people in total. We're now about 250. And so oh we, we, we did face a choice. You know, we, we were in rapid growth mode for the company right when all of COVID was, was really unfolding. And that didn't leave us a lot of choice, but it caused us to build the company in what I think was a pretty intentional way where we didn't have to go back and tear down processes that we had always built as in-person processes. Um, I'd say we were split before COVID. We, uh, we, we had always envisioned in particular a technology team that was pretty widely dispersed, but mm-hmm. we had some question marks around other functions, but it's really, it's worked out really well. And I'm, I'm a big believer in um, all or nothing. I don't, I don't, I, I have questions around hybrid models sometimes, but I think that uh, as long as everyone's on the same uh, level playing field, if you will, um, as you know, either an all in person or a all remote model affords. I think that that tends to work. So I guess I guess you probably have done some studies. I, I would think, or at least read studies about work product of people in office versus out of office. I, I assume you're finding that working at at home or working remote is is very successful, and and not wanting to bring people into an office. Yeah, well, we, we don't have time to do studies because we're you know we're startup still, but we um, right. absolutely try and evaluate it as as well as we can. And I I'd, I'd say that the biggest thing that of course everyone fears is are we going to lose something critical about our culture and the camaraderie and just that that grace and goodwill that you build up with people you work with so that you you assume positive intentions when you have some sort of you know uh, conflict but you're, you're you're arguing about some at work. And I, I I think that is a real thing people need to worry about. We, we do most of our functions. We'll get together in person at some offsite location with pretty great regularity. You know, our, our leadership team typically is close, you know, once or twice or uh, once every month, or every two months, we'll be together. We're traveling to visit third parties and we see each other that way. So oh, I think yeah. you need the in-person contact, but it doesn't have to be in an office. You, you need it somehow though. Well, and I, I think if you started out uh, remote, if you started out with a a culture like that, no one's ever looking at it and saying, I wish it was like it was before the pandemic. And I think a lot of companies struggle with that. But if you just started out remote, that is the culture. So I think that you got that going for you, at least. Yeah. And I can tell you a tough situation, which I've faced in, in prior employers is you can have half the people in the room because they're in one city and then mm-hmm. the other half are dispersed and they're calling in on the screen and it doesn't detect, doesn't really work. And that that's tough because it does create kind of two classes of people in the meeting or the situation. Um, and I do think that's a tough model um, to do that sort of hybrid situation. I agree. Well, well, let's jump on into Openly. I'm curious if maybe you can give us a little bit on on what Openly is. What are we talking about today? Yeah, absolutely. We are a heavily tech-enabled home insurance company. We are targeting what I'll call broadly the sort of mass affluent segment of customers in single-family homes. So think, you know, mid-six to low seven-figure homes is sort of our, our sweet spot. Um, we are explicitly built around the premise that existing incumbents, as well as most of the insure tech startups, were really focused on direct-to-consumer products at the exclusion of putting attention and investment on the independent agency channel. And so we felt like there was a big gaping hole in the market where we could build the next generation product, uh, starting with home insurance, bring that to the independent agency channel and win there. And so that's what we're in market with. We launched uh, the company five years ago, I think it was actually today. This is our company's birthday of uh, signing the, birthday. the Delaware paperwork. Thank you. Um, and But we didn't get into market for a couple of years because of everything you got to line up. And so late 2019, we've been doing this for two and a half years now, still in rapid growth mode. But that's that's what we are. Great so home insurance. That's wonderful. So mostly designed for, for independent agents to to go and sell already using their 
their network of people, their network of customers. But that's really the the main focus. Is that right? That, that's the really the exclusive focus. Now, when we say okay. independent agent, there there are a lot of different models of what you could call an independent agency. So you have the traditional sort of in person. You have big call centers. You have uh, you know franchise models. You have partially digital agencies where maybe the customer starts the journey online and then ends up purchasing with a person. We will work with all stripes of agency. The key thing to us is exactly what you said, which is that the agent is bringing their customers to the table. They're offering them choice, objective advice, all the things that a customer should want that I tell my relatives, when you shop for insurance, go get that. And we are one of the choices on the table that that agent can place their customer with if we're the right fit. Right. Well, and and there you talked about a lot of different companies are going other ways, you know, direct to consumer. You said this is the one, the decision you made. Why is this the way you went? Yeah, I think there's a, you know, kind of good for the universe, big picture reasoning. And then there's a much more selfish economic reason. <laughs> the, the universe, if you will, is that it, it's ultimately better for end consumers to go through independent agents. And the reason for that is very simple, that the agent, you, it's a one-stop shop for choice of product, for you know underwriting eligibility, for even if you're just a price shopper, you can go and the agent will shop for you. Instead of going to you know eight different direct companies and trying to you know spend 20 minutes on the phone, whatever, getting a rate, um, it's much better to go to your one-stop shop and let the agent help you. And I think People sometimes respond to that and say, yeah, but everyone wants to do everything digitally. And I say, well, that may be true. That, let's suppose that's true. I still think then your argument would be that home insurance is headed the way of like Kayak, not of Delta Airlines website. I love Delta Airlines, but I just, you know, the yeah. point is that like when you, even for an industry that gets really commoditized and digitized, it tends to be a choice platform rather than a bunch of independent direct platforms that I think will win in home insurance. And that's certainly what you see, for example, in the UK, we have these aggregators, which is sort of the, the end of the road digitally for, for them is this, are these aggregation platforms rather than kind of purely direct. And then the, the reason it's good for us is when you look at the challenges of being a single product startup without a billion dollars to spend on advertising each year, it is an enormous hurdle to get past to say, we're going to get consumers' attention because they don't want to think about insurance. Nothing you can do to make your product amazing. It does not matter. Consumers don't want to think about their home insurance very much. To get them to pay attention, and then some of the time you don't have the right product, and you can't cross on the auto yet, et cetera, that is a terrible, uh, if you will, lifetime value to, to acquisition cost proposition. Whereas in the agency's offices, the agents solve that for themselves, and we effectively split the acquisition acquisition costs with the other carriers in the agency because they usually sell them something. Sometimes it's us, sometimes it's someone else. So it's a much more efficient model for us as a, as a new entrant. I see. I see. So I guess why would a agent pick openly over maybe somebody else? What What is yeah. the draw for the agent? Yeah. And we try and be super lovable, both, um, of course, for our end consumers, but a lot of it is also focused around making the agent's life easier. So my my wife used to be an independent agent. She started a scratch re retail agency. My co-founder in the business um, was a technology lead at an independent agency. I used to work with independent agents a lot. So we have a lot of experience. And if you go and sit with an agent, what you'll find is that their life is very complicated. They have maybe eight carriers they're working with on homeowners. They have sticky notes on their monitor explaining which carrier has which underwriting rules and which which ones will take this and that and to go with. And what we do is we just say, we're going to get rid of a lot of the nonsense that makes your life slow and difficult agents. And we're going to make it extremely fast and easy to get a you know firm quote and ultimately to sell and service homeowners insurance. And so our flagship feature is a three question 
bindable quote on up to a $3 million replacement cost home. Um, wow. And that, you know, that's enough to get most agents to, to take your call and to take a look. Um, and then from there, it's just a cascade of features that just make life easier. We, we've gotten rid in most states where everything I say about coverage today is subject to state uh, regulation, of course, but where Absolutely. permissible, we've essentially gotten rid of coverage A. The agents um, as a concept, meaning the customer doesn't have to guess the coverage limit on their policy. We rate it behind the scenes based on their placement costs. They're always insured up to $5 million, again, where permissible. That, and it's, that, it's features like that that just are game-changing for the speed and ease of an agent doing business. That's crazy. So, so before this whole uh, insure tech boom happened and everyone tried to make uh, insurance faster, how long would it normally take an agent to set up a new policy? Yeah, it depends on how you define the uh, finish line. So you okay. could often get to an initial quote. Well, before any insure tech, it, it might take you you know, 10 or 15 minutes to get to sort of an initial quote that might still be subject to an inspector is going to go out and look and it might reprice the you know, limit for the house materially. So it might, you, you could call it, you know, 15, 20, 30 days, depending on the final underwriting decision. But to get to an initial quote for one carrier might take you, you know, 15 minutes with a, with a, in a good situation. You know, if you're doing that several times for each customer all right. day, every day, you know, that, that, that really adds up a consumer who shops every five years. That's not, a big deal, yeah. but an agent doing it all the time. Okay, but right, yeah. So eight seconds versus even fifteen minutes is is great, and especially eight seconds versus thirty days is amazing. So with us, you got this firm quote bindable. If you like the rate eight after eight seconds, you can you know talk. We we want agents to spend their time honestly talking to customers about the coverage. But if for some reason they are able to get through that super quickly, they could hit bind on the policy and have a, a PDF issued policy in in seconds really. Wow, that's really really neat. Uh, so so currently we're in, we're in nineteen states. Is that right? Uh, we are just entered our twenty first state. We're in beta in our twenty first state. So you're we're we're moving so quickly. We're a little bit ahead, but twenty one. So yeah. you're even quicker than 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 the news shows. I guess what was the uh, last state that we announced? Maine. We well, I, we've we've announced through South Carolina, which was our twentieth uh, hey, state. And, there you uh, go. That's my my home state. We finally, I can insure myself. Uh, you can actually have have insurance, yeah, through yourself. That's great. And so, whenever you're you're marketing, uh, you don't you don't spend marketing on on customers. You're marketing to the agent. So, what what does that look like? I've never really asked uh, that question. Whenever you're marketing to agents, is that just just cold call? Is it mails? Is it, I mean, what 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 do you do to get yeah. their attention? I'd say it's a it's a rich and long funnel. Um, if you you can certainly talk about the very tippy top of the funnel, as you're alluding to, uh, how do you even get any agent's attention? And initially, it was a lot of cold calling. When we were early days of the company, we had nothing but PowerPoint. You know, um, we we now you know we do opportunities like this, which sometimes gets agents' attention. We do mm -hmm. um, we'll be out um, in trade publications facing agents. We go to conferences, but fundamentally, you know, the tippy top of the funnel, you know, starts it off. We do have email, which which we'll do. We'll do those things. But what's really important is we have a, a business development team that will then, you know, take the agent's initial call, answer their questions. And the great thing about it is that agents get this. It's not like you don't have to talk down to them, if, if you will, the way that you unfortunately do and understandably do to consumers, right? You can only right, fit so right. much into, uh, you know, an ad for cheap auto insurance. But with an agent, you can say, hey, we got this neat product feature. We have open perils contents and, you know, $5 million replacement costs on this. And if the closing date of your house changes, you just click a button instead of rewriting and you get high sublimits on your want, you know, that kind of stuff. An agent will listen even in a 30 minute initial meeting and, and can be wowed. So a lot of it's that uh, we have a pretty a nice kind of assembly line, if you will, for doing the onboarding and making sure they're trained. But I would say 
a lot of what happens with marketing to agents is downstream when they, they do a few quotes. Wow, that was easy. They issue some policies and then they have a question. They say, well, this customer has three horses in the back and also a dock across the street. Is that going to count as coverage B or is that, and is it covered by the liability or do I need, and what I think that's one of the first cases where they say, oh my gosh, openly is not just technology. They have these amazing human expert underwriters who, when an agent has a hard question, will get back to them quickly. They can do it through chatting in our portal, through a phone call, whatever, we'll get back to them. And then someone has a claim, of course, inevitably, and they find that we are extremely fast um, and are proactive at communicating with the customers um, and of course, you know, pay fairly and are empathetic and they say, wow, you're the real deal. You're not just, and then they talk about us to their friends, which I love. I love oh, yeah. that agents are not too selfish in that way. They'll talk about us on LinkedIn and Facebook and, and everything else. Good and bad, right? They'll, it goes both ways. So if, as long as you do good, but they'll also go the other way. It puts your product in the spotlight as opposed to your 30 second message, which for us, we like, cause that's where we, we shine. We, we're yeah. product people fundamentally. I mean, I'm so much more likely to buy if somebody I know has said, oh, yeah, that's that's actually, in fact, I was I was actually researching something today and I thought, I don't know if it's any good. Nobody's ever talked about this. And so I, I didn't buy it. But you're right. If somebody goes on and recommends it, you're so much more likely to 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 use it or at least look that direction. So good, good. It seems like things are going really well. In June, you raised seventy five million dollars. I mean, that's great. Thank tell, you. Why don't you tell yeah, well, me a little bit about that? What's going on with those funds? What do you have planned? Yeah, we were, we were excited. I mean, look, it's as everyone, it's no secret that it's uh, uh, not the the same capital environment that it was 18 months ago, call it. I think InsureTech probably caught a little bit of the the bug that then <laughs> over the yeah. next few months got a lot of the rest of the technology sectors, public and private. So it, it was, I think there's a lot more pickiness. There's a lot more, you know, sitting down, for diligence for, you know, weeks or even months and as opposed to, you know, a couple of days and here's a big check, which probably wasn't the healthiest environment 18 months ago. Right. Uh, but it was, it was great. I mean, we, you know, we enjoy being able to talk about the product. So 75 million was a great series C raise for us. Um, it had participation from some new investors as well as strong support from our existing investors as well, which is always, always great to see. And we will use it. You think about where it's, you know, in terms of is this money going towards fundamentally growth or profitability yeah. or what are you going to do with this? It is, it is certainly partly growth. So continuing to acquire more agencies, which doesn't cost us nothing, right? That costs us something, even though it's not as much as it would be for a direct carrier. Uh, continuing to expand states that takes people to to build the product for new states. Um, a lot of it is also focused on things that are broadly speaking going toward our unit economics and toward the the joy of using our product. So for okay. example, if, if there's something that is a manual process today where the agent has to call us and say, hey, I need you to, you know, add the barn across the street to this property, but you know, what just making something up. And we're able to automate that and say, hey, does this come up a lot? And should we even proactively notify you if that this house might have a barn? And what, what's the best we we can take time off our plate and the agent's plate, make it cheaper for everybody and more lovable for everybody. So a lot of our investments right now in technology and product are in making doing things that improve the underlying algorithms of the product, but also make the product easier and faster to use for, for us and for agents. Um, and then the final piece I'll give you is we are, as we continue our evolution, we were, we've been historically operating as mostly an MGA. We okay. are over the next few years, we'll be operating in a sort of hybrid model where we're in part MGA, but we are also taking some risk um, on our own balance sheet. And so we'll use some of the $75 million to fund our own balance sheet. Um, 
Okay. So we read the the press release in July where we have openly insurance carriers. Is that right? Did, did I say that correctly? Is that how we would reference that? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, and we really will be taking risk in a couple of ways. One is you're exactly correct. We were really excited to close on our admitted insurance carrier, which we um, will likely start using in 2023, but we're, we're gearing up to do that. Um, we also have you know, like a, a captive reinsurance vehicle that enables us even in 2022 to be taking some of the risk. And the reasons we do this are it over time, it allows us to capture a little more of the unit economics of what we're doing. Okay. Um, it, it is demonstrative of uh, skin in the game to our reinsurers. We're heavily reinsured and they like to see understandably that we are eating some of our own cooking and yeah. that it really helps us uh, with that as well. Well, that's good. So, I mean, that that's a big step, isn't it? I mean, we hear about a lot of MGAs who just stay MGAs, but then it seems like once they grow to a certain size, you've got to to do that. I mean, you've got to to put skin in the game. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, what I, I guess what does that look like? Is that is that building out new new units or new departments within Openly? Is that new jobs? What does it take to do something like that? <laughs> yeah, it, it absolutely has been. So on the operational side of, you know, just running the product side and the filings and the claims and everything you need to be an insurance carrier, we've already been doing a, most of that. We've hired real experts, you know, from across you know, big carriers out there and, and, and brought them in to run those functions. So I, I don't feel like it's a great leap for us on the normal operations, but there is a lot of what you consider obviously back office um, compliance type work. Um, maybe one of the most important functions we're building out right now is our what, almost backward facing uh, reinsurance team. And, okay. and the job of that team is to go and treat our risk partners with the same care that we today treat our independent agents and our customers on what I would call the front end of the platform. And that means everything from, you know, there's a sales aspect to that, certainly a business development of making relationships. There's a product aspect in terms of, you know, delivering to them the transparency of data that they would like and making sure that we're servicing what they need to continue the relationship. There's an optimization aspect, which means, you know, making sure we're using the most reliable and efficient forms of capital because there's different ways you can, you can ultimately bear risk behind the scenes. So a lot of it is that it's really thinking about what's the, what is the overall structure of risk bearing behind openly going to look like as we keep growing really rapidly, which, which we are right now. How neat. I mean, it just seems like such a neat story. You know, so we're, we're here at the big growth opportunity. I want to go back to really the, the founding story. What, I, what I'm really fascinated by is that you're an insurance guy. You know, my, my co-host Rob always says, you're an insurance guy because you hear a lot of these startups, they're not insurance people and they, and they run these companies. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know what? I need to get an insurance guy involved. But I mean, you're there, right? You're one of the, the co-founders. So take me back. Uh, let me know where where did this idea come from? And just talk me through the, the first couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just say at the outset, too, that you need both. You really do need. You do. I mean, you I'm do. not going to sit here and tell you that a 40% you know, overall expense ratio for the industry and the way the tech works today is, is great. So I don't think in, insurance as a whole should should. Uh, feel immune to challenge, but on the other hand, you you you, don't, you also don't want to be just people who don't understand the problem you're trying to solve. You have to be tech enabled, not tech for tech's sake, in, in a sense. And I like you know, that. I so I was originally 
I'm a quantitative person. I was in uh, graduate school up at MIT doing statistics and economics stuff. Went from there uh, back in 2005 to Liberty Mutual, which was an amazing place to work. Worked there for 13 years, became an actuary, uh, helped build some of their you know pricing models and telematics models and capital allocation for catastrophe models and just had a, um, enormous opportunities. Was eventually the chief product and underwriting officer there. Um, and that was a great gig. I, I left it in 2017. And I, I think with all these things, there's probably always a, a personal dimension and a, and a broader dimension. I mean, for the personal dimension to me was I like building things from the early stage. And that job was amazing. But but there is an element of it. Inevitably, when you're at that level of a, a huge company, there's a defensive element of it. You just can't take the risk to try something on your, you know, whatever billion of premium. And it's just personally enjoyable to me. Um, it gets me up early in the morning and, you know, et cetera, to, to be working on something new. And the, the, and the opportunity here, I mean, look, there's a million opportunities that one could write down and have, have a notebook full of. But it, it, to me, it was an opportunity in, in some sense hiding in plain sight to me that I felt like, and this isn't speaking of my, any one particular company, but I just felt like the industry was overlooking this channel. I, I felt like the world is probably going the way of, you know, I looked at like the UK or some of the, you know, more advanced insurance economies and the transparent consumer choice that happens there, the ability to pick and choose insurance. And I felt like that that's something the industry is not necessarily looking forward to here, but it's something right. that probably will happen. And the way that's going to happen, I think it's through what we call today, the independent agency channel. Agents will get more and more efficient. You know, it'll, it'll move at its own pace, but I think that's where it's going to happen. And so building a carrier for that channel was very much sagging when others were kind of zigging toward the, uh, toward the direct to consumer model. And it felt like an opportunity hanging out in plain sight. It took, you know, there was execution risk, but there wasn't, there, there was a market there. We knew that there was a market for great homeowners insurance sold through independent agents. It wasn't like uh, building some entirely new thing that people could just, just not even want. So the product you have today, is this the exact product you envisioned back at the start or did it, did it morph or did it pivot? Um, there are, it, it retains some of the, some of the threads of the original ideas. So that, that idea, for example, of, uh, you know, ensuring every home to a certain value and and not forcing people to guess a limit. Um, that's that's an idea that has survived and I think has been a powerful feature of the product. The idea of ex being extremely fast and easy, just in the early days we kept coming up with, all right, but we have to ask one more question. No, we're not going to ask the question. We'll get it somewhere else. We'll find the data without asking the customer one more question. It's got to be three. I think that we, we stuck pretty well to that. What I've been amazed about, we thought we were going to have to be even more revolutionary, I'll say, in, in, uh, in some aspects of the product um, than we have had to be in order to get noticed. Um, and it's just been amazing to me how simple things, if you pay attention to 25 simple things that agents really care about, like, you know, the closing date of a house changes or, you know, this or that happens with the bill or the customer just needs to know what's going on with their claim. And, you know, wants a proactive callback. If you just use technology to fix those things, you've got a great company, regardless of whether you create something no one else in the universe has ever created. Um, there are some aspects that we, we'd like to develop that are, you know, no one else in the universe has ever created down the road, but we haven't had yeah. to get there yet to, to reach success. Tell me a little bit about you. You went to MIT. You told us a little bit about what, what you did early on in the insurance space, but I don't, I don't know very many people who went to MIT who said, who said I want to be in the insurance world. So help me understand a little more. What did that roadmap look like for you? Yeah, well, and to be clear, so I did my undergraduate at 
Duke University, which was okay. great. And I went up to grad. I worked at the Brookings Institution for a couple of years in economic studies there. That was an amazing time. And then went to MIT for uh, seeking a PhD in economics. And I, you know, I did all the coursework there and had had a, uh, a great time and learned a ton. When it got to the dissertation writing phase, as happens to some people, I discovered that. I was, um, I'll, I'll call it restless. Uh, I wasn't, it just wasn't the, the right thing at that time in my life. And so yeah. I, I started looking around at other opportunities and it, you know, when I was, I had a, my hobby at the time was poker. So I would, you know, I'd love to go to the casinos and play a lot of poker and was doing okay at it by a grad student salary, uh, you know, standards. And so I said, well, all right, where do they think about risk in the face of uncertainty? You've got uh, a casino. So I could go work at a casino, but that's pretty far away. Um, or insurance company. That's another thing that looks at risk. Um, and yeah. oh, there's one of those across the river, Liberty. And so um, I stumbled into it. I, I secretly took actuarial exams, didn't even tell my girlfriend at the time who's um, who had some family members who were actuaries. I kind of <laughs> on the <laughs> download did it, snuck into the profession, told myself I was going to finish my dissertation while working, but then kind of fell in love with it weirdly. And that most people in insurance you know, every, people, people who are insurance kind of know, but everyone else think it looks yeah. funny when you say that you stumbled in and then liked it. But. Yeah. I don't think anybody really starts out saying I'm, well, I only know two or three who are like, I'm insurance from the very beginning. I mean, I didn't think I'd be here. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, that's all that I know anymore is insurance. It's their own little weird world, but I, I'm, I'm kind of that way. You know, my, my, if you look at my hobbies over the years, I talked about poker. I, I used to be an extremely serious competitive ballroom dancer, which, you know, who knew? Did you really? Hobby. Yeah. I mean, uh, all kinds of strange hobbies are, are kind of my, my thing. So it's not, it doesn't shock me that I stumbled into insurance and got serious about it. Well, there you go. So let's talk about hobbies. What is your, what is your favorite hobby right now? What are you doing well, right now? Right now. So I used to have about 27 hobbies and now I, I, I play with my adorable children who are five and three Wonderful. Um, and I run. That's pretty much, um, you know, it's, it's, there's not a whole lot of room between startup and kids yeah. uh, to do much, but I'm happy with this new form of life. that doesn't need me to be snowboarding and windsurfing and ballroom dancing. And, you know, you can, you can, you can settle you, down. You can just run. So what kind of running? Are we talking short distance, marathons, triathlons, yeah. or what What are we doing here? I went through a phase where I was really serious about 5Ks. I had this dream oh, yeah. of beating my like high school, I used to be on the <laughs> cross country team and I was trying to beat my high school 5K time. And it was funny. I trained harder and harder just as I was getting older and older. And it was always oh, yeah. it was like Sisyphean. It was always just out of grasp and I never quite got there, but I made some good strides. I was, um, I was up to running 60, 70 miles a week a couple of years ago, but I'm, I'm That's a lot. a little now. That was That's a, lot, a lot. I'll tell you. So but what are you at now? 35, 40 yeah, miles a week? Yeah, exactly. Now I'm, I'm in 30, 30 to 40 is maintenance mode for me. It just feels good. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, but that's enough to do it. So I want to ask you before we end here, I want to talk a little bit about the industry. So we see a lot of companies selling insurance, right? You see the, you see the old ones who have been around for, for 200 years. You see new ones starting up. Is the marketplace big enough for, for more people to come in? Is it too crowded? Uh, is there room? What, what do you see going on out there? Um, I think it's definitely too crowded. I'll speak very specifically about personal lines, PNC, which I see as a product where scale really does matter. I I think there are probably other uh, lines of insurance where this is less of an issue, but in personal PNC, the uh, ubiquitous availability of data and the homogeneity of the risks. I mean, homeowners insurance are not all the same, but fundamentally you can bring basically the same data to bear on, you know, 80 to 90% of homes. I think that favors scale 
in a way that will win. Think about what you have today. You have hundreds, our competitors, we have literally hundreds of mostly regional, um, you know, kind of mutual insurance companies. They all have independently built a sales organization, a technology stack in many cases, a finance organization, a service organization. And some of these things, you only really need to do once, <laughs> no matter how big you are. And so uh, someone with scale can do it. And that kills me because I, I do love the fragmented nature of, of insurance. I often ask myself, well, why then has this survived? And I think the answer right. to me, why, why aren't there two insurance companies? And I think the answer is that there is still such disagreement about price that that is enough to make no one carrier able to win because even oh. a Geico, which has this enormous scale and whatnot, they're still not going to be, their model has a different pricing and underwriting algorithm. They're not, they're not going to be the best price for actually probably most customers, right? Even if they're um, the lowest on average. And I think that is the thing that has kept insurance fragmented. Can someone solve that? I think there, there are ways to solve that. Um, if you think about separating the insurance value stack into the pieces that do benefit from scale and the pieces that don't. So maybe, you know, you, you have increasingly shared resources across, you know, the tech stack and the, uh, some parts of the service stack and the finance stack. And let's bring the, even the sales stack, let's bring those things together in an efficient way, but then leave, uh, you know, different opinions around risk. Maybe, maybe you have a bunch of different underwriters bidding through a big stack. I think there's different models that could work. They're probably a ways off. The industry is obviously impervious to, uh, or re resistance to rapid change for a lot of reasons related to regulators, related to the mutual company structure and incentives, et cetera. I love that. One, one more thing before we end. Back in 2016, 2017, all the rage was direct to consumer. Every new startup said, I, I'm starting an insurance company and I'm going to sell direct to consumer. And, and my dad being an insurance agent for 40 years was like, wow, this is going to mess everything up. But we really found... That not to be the case. We have found that agents are still there. They are so important and and everyone has changed. And even these direct-to-consumers are saying, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, we're direct-to-consumers, but maybe 80% of our uh, policies are sold through independent agents. You had the thought of, of staying. Your whole company is built on staying with independent agents, right, with an agency. Why do you think that the direct-to-consumer has not been more successful? Yeah, I think you just have to apply as a cliched, but you have to use some first principles thinking and just say, well, what's better for the consumer? Is it to go and call 10 different call centers and repeat the same 72 piece of information over and over and then get your different quotes in different formats and have everyone trying to sell you something and whether or not it's a fit or is it better to go to one stop, have objective advice and be placed with the right product and have price shopping while you're at it. I mean, that's just, it's such a better model. The choice aspect of independent agencies has just overwhelmed all of the disadvantages and there are disadvantages, right? I mean, a, a big call center is more efficient than, you know, local brick and mortar agency in, in many ways, but the brick and mortar agency survives because of that choice benefit. Now, what I do think you see right now is the smerging of the models. And you see a lot of these new mm -hmm. growing agencies, which take the efficiencies of the direct model, the call center aspect, the, you know, uh, the standard work on following up on leads, the processing of back sharing back office documents, billing, you know, all of those um, aspects that make a direct model work. And then they combine that with consumer choice. And I think that's the winning model, whether that's going to be how much of the journey the customer does online versus in a call center versus, you know, some other mode of interaction. I think it'll gradually move more and more online, but kind of slowly, but, but either way, the choice is going to win. And that's just, that just seems obvious to me. I don't know. It, it seems like the obvious yeah. way it's got to go. So. 
I think especially now you're looking back like, oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. And but that's what it is. Right. I mean, insurance is complicated. And I know people who try to change insurance and they don't understand it and they're bringing it to me. And, and it's just so much easier sometimes, you know, to go to the agent who does it all day long and can actually answer those questions. So I I think it's great. What's on the roadmap for Openly? Uh, what do we have to look forward to? I mean, I say that because you had two huge announcements in June and July, the big raise, Openly Insurance Carrier. Uh, is there anything else coming down the pipeline? Yeah, look, our goal is to be the number one provider of preferred personal insurance through independent agents in the U.S. Um, and that's that's really a 15-year goal if you kind of mathematically map it out. Um, and it's so as you think about that, we are having enormous success with our existing product. We'll keep expanding states. We'll keep expanding agencies. We will eventually introduce additional products that are obviously part of the same sales cycle with the agent autos and umbrellas because we are built around the agent we're not built around the product we're built around the agent but it's not it's not the right time for us to do that right now right now we're focused on expanding the existing product and just really continuing to hone the delight that we give to the agents and consumers and to drive our own unit economics just take waste off of our plate and off of the agent's plate so future you'll see us growing rapidly you know bring in additional products eventually and uh, eventually taking over the universe there you go. That's the way to do it. Well, Ty, thank you so much for being on today. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks. I had a great time. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening today. Uh, thank you to Ty for being on. Really enjoyed getting to visit with him. And what a neat market. Ty is the second person we've had on from Openly. And I every time I get to talk to openly, it's just really neat what they're doing. They're really using that independent agent to sell the product and they're catering to them. And it, it it's really interesting to hear. With that, thank you openly. Thank you, Ty. To everyone else, we look forward to talking to you on the next podcast. And until then, goodbye, everybody. <laughs>